The podcast about everything is an Hour of the Wolf production. The voice you're hearing belongs to the illustrious Mr. Alistair Crawley, self-proclaimed black magician and most evil person who ever lived. He's reading a poem he wrote, actually a spell called The Call of the First Ether. It's spoken in an angelic language known as Enochian. Today we're going to explore Mr. Crawley, his secret societies, and the secret societies that have been founded throughout the ages. Join us in today's podcast. Hi, this is Michael Allison. Welcome to the podcast about everything. So, welcome back to episode two of our series on magic called It's Magic on the podcast about everything. Uh, joining me uh, and looking incredibly threatening with his uh, scary witch nose is friend of the podcast and my own personal buddy, uh, Bill Krill. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? Hey, Michael. How are you this evening? I'm fine. Um, so, uh, I know we're both probably gluttons for punishment here, but we're going to we're going to dive into part two, um, which we're calling initiations, secret yeah. knowledge, and secret societies. So, um, Bill, you have a you have a pretty broad background. Uh, do you want to share some of that with the people who might be listening? Well, I guess I guess some of the things that are pertinent for uh, tonight's conversation, perhaps, is uh, my psychological background as a clinical counselor, um, uh, and and that I'm an amateur magician. I've been doing uh, magic, performing magic uh, as a hobby for more than forty years now, um, and those two kind of go together for me because the psychology of performing magic is really interesting to me how we trick people, uh, how our perceptions can trick ourselves It's all pretty cool. And I have a good amount of fun with it, uh, entertaining people and quite frankly, entertaining myself. And, uh, uh, and, pe and people want to be fooled, don't they? They do, they yeah. do, they're eager for it. Uh, yeah. Of course, I fool people with, uh, with uh, making sure that they know it's, I'm, I am fooling them, it is a trick, uh, it's all in fun. I don't have supernatural powers other than my, uh, I guess my, my supernatural power of wanting to know how magic is done, uh, which is what we're talking about tonight, I guess. Yeah. The secrets, you know. Yeah, uh, we're the, talking about secret knowledge. Um, the allure of secrecy. Yeah. yeah. So with your background, um, how would you define a cult? Not occult, but a cult. Yeah, that's that's really an interesting concept too. And I, I've actually worked with uh, with clients who have uh, had the unfortunate experience of having been involved in uh, in in cult experiences. 
And I've had people in my life that I've known that have, have uh, flirted with that or been involved in that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's rather interesting uh, and how it develops and how it works. Um, uh, you know, I guess a cult would be, um, you know, a, uh, an offshoot. It's usually an offshoot of something else, something that is mainline and probably accepted. Uh, and a personality kind of draws, uh, usually a very strong charismatic personality that begins the cult and has secret knowledge or, or secret favor of some sort. And people are attracted to that. They like the idea of uh, knowing something or being in an exclusive club, let's say. Um, and that's very attractive, but before they know it, they, they may be sucked in and, and uh, psychologically, emotionally, and even spiritually, and sometimes even physically abused. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they can be pretty involved, and, uh, but they do seem to follow a pattern, that's for sure. Oh, there is a pattern, and I think we'll see a couple of aspects of those patterns tonight when we talk about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of them is some sort of special rite of initiation that separates the person joining the group from all those other people. It's a That's way right. of making them feel special. And often it for, if, involves some form of abuse or something like that. A lot but, of times it involves money, Michael. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of uh, times. You have to buy in in some fashion. <laughs> Give me yeah. all your money or... Take these special classes where you'll get mm-hmm. special knowledge. Yeah. And yeah, the classes yeah. are, you know, thousands of dollars, for example. That's not we'll, an uncommon one. Uh, we'll be talking about um, some of that at the end of the broadcast tonight, as a matter okay. of fact. Um, right. So, um, yeah, so there's initiation rights involved. And of course, we, you know, so special knowledge. Last week, we talked about numerous people who were, how should I describe them, court magicians, and how they proclaim to have special knowledge. And uh, when in reality, what seems obvious to us in this day and age, they were doing a lot of like stage magic tricks, you know, as far as we can tell. And, um, but the, the lore of special knowledge has been with us for a long time. We also spoke about some of the ancient Greek philosophers who are actually re- running religious cults based on their understanding of philosophy or mathematics or that sort of things, too. Um, are, are things attacking you? Yeah, my dog. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. You're not Abby, the, the therapy dog. You're no. not throwing Abby across the room, though, right? No, I'm not throwing her across. <laughs> okay, good. I'm trying to keep her entertained right here. Okay, well, that's yeah. it's difficult. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we know about the ancient Greeks, and there was a word that evolved um, about knowledge, which is um, especially secret knowledge, which is Gnosticism. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, where that yeah. came from. Yeah, and 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 um, there have been various peoples who proclaim themselves as Gnostics, as having secret hidden knowledge. Uh, A lot of the cults that grew up towards the beginning of the first century in the Roman Empire claimed to have secret knowledge. They had initiation rites and things like that. Um, So so, so Gnostic is a, it's a generic kind of term. It's not a specific 
religion well, it, or anything it like is, that? It is a very specific religious philosophy that involves sort of uh, running counter, at least in Christianity, it runs counter to um, most of the, a lot of the accepted ideas. Yeah. For example, yeah, okay. anti-Trinitarians. Mm -hmm. uh, that was one of the sort of ideas behind Gnosticism, a challenge against the authority of a centralized authority in the church. That would be another example of Gnosticism. But I think one of the key beliefs was the idea that, for example, for Christians, that the Old Testament represented the activities of not so much God, uh, but a demiurge, a, mm. a darker craving and desirous supernatural being, mm -hmm. uh, which is responsible for the creation of everything and responsible for the fall of mankind. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, that the New Testament God represents um, a triumphant being trying to be an overarching force for good. Benevolent. Uh, yeah. Benevolent. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so these two concepts of God are fighting with each other. So one becomes basically the devil and the other mm -hmm. one becomes, you know, this, uh, yeah. this, this untouched, almost unknowable God. And um, so there was ideas of purification rituals in Gnosticism that a lot of them would, embr would embrace rebirth and things like that. For example, not just symbolic rebirth, like you see in say baptism or confirmation, but actually a belief in reincarnation. So the, I see. So, so the soul transfers itself and begins again to have a purification. And um, one of the early groups that was uh, labeled as having Gnostic practices and were dark and, and evil was a group called the Cathars. Um, yes, I've heard of the Cathars, they, yeah. yeah they, they were persecuted uh, very, very strongly by the church. If you read or the book or even watched the movie based on Umberto Eco's story, The, yeah. Day, the Dame of the Rose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the Cathars weren't the bad guys, but they were the fanatics who were um, rebelling against the church and ultimately killed the Inquisitor, uh, I see. because um, he ordered some of them burned at the stake. Yeah. Um, he was also pro persecuting the Franciscans at the same time because the Franciscans believed that the church should not own property. Okay. That they should be poor. Yeah. yeah. No. They're almost like movements or social groups, right? Inside. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very much so. In their opposition. Whole, yeah. And this is that, you know early medieval period, you know, after the fall of Rome, uh, when the monasteries were establishing themselves, you know, who, Saint, who had Saint, the knowledge. I mean, had, they were the keepers at that time. I mean, that's where the books were. Is yeah, in they, the were, they were transcribing books and things and, like and that. And my understanding is, is they, they, they had some of the nasty books too. I mean, they didn't get rid of all the uh, books that they disagreed with. They just kind of locked them away somewhere. Well, they were the first, yeah, they were libraries and they had their adult sections. <laughs> yeah, their adults, uh, only special people could go in and write, read the yeah, Gnostic stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You had to be strong enough to withstand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like in the name of the Rose, the prior of the monastery 
his belief was that laughter was of the devil. Oh, so any, yeah. Anything that was funny uh, <laughs> was a banned book. Well, we're, we're definitely going to hell, Michael. <laughs> I, I'm afraid so. Yeah. Well, you know, well, there'll be lots of company. So, what can I say? So, so uh, we're in the Middle Ages, um, the early Middle Ages. And one of the things that was really becoming organized, I mean, there was always trade among people. But mm. one of the things that became organized was trade and the passing along of knowledge, there we go, mm. of an, an ability. So in the, in the early medieval times, they, in the Middle Ages, they started guilds for people who had specific skills. Yeah, professional guilds, sure. They were professional guilds, yeah. yeah. So, you know, like builders would have a guild Coopers, of builders, yeah. blacksmith, Coopers, yeah. blacksmith, and they mm -hmm. would take in um, people that were young, young people who were brought to them as apprentices. Yeah. They mm -hmm. wouldn't be paid, but they mm -hmm. would, the master would provide them with room and board. And the guy teaching them was considered a master of his trade. Okay. Okay. This, this yeah. will come back to this uh, yeah. as we get it further into this business. And, but, and, and by the way, money's involved. Then that's how money, I mean, money gets involved. You got to pay oh, to yeah. move up. You got to pay to move up and you've, and you have to prove that you're capable of making money. Yeah. You know, so, so that's like, once again, you know, like there, every medieval artist had a huge number of assistants and most of the Renaissance artists the same way and on sure. and on. Um, so, um, these medieval guilds considered what they did and the, 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 the techniques of developing their skills to be their secrets. Yeah. Okay. And so they were quite, they were quite combative about anyone who would protective, try to set up. Yeah. They were very protective. They would try to, um, you know, open warfare sometimes between sure. various guilds who were, who one felt the other was ripping off their ideas and things yeah. like that. Beginning so, of the mafia there, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a guild structure to the mafia. <laughs> yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and secrecy, and, too. And, yeah. and lots of secrecy, yeah. yeah. So um, what, we, what I want to do is just discuss some of these secret societies. Cool. And um, not all of them are that secret, but <laughs> the, the first three we're going to talk about is are ones that... Every, you know, it's like cheers everybody knows their name right. um and there are endless stories about them and yeah. the very first group was a group of knights uh who were you know created in the 11th century uh after the first crusade recaptured jerusalem okay and these guys were a group of warrior monks they were celibate hmm. they mm -hmm. took vows and mm -hmm. um, they they were granted a portion of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem as their headquarters. I and see. They, and these were the Knights Templar. Yeah. And the Knights Templar, interestingly enough, their symbol was a large rose red cross on yes. their surpluses that they wore. And right. that the rosy cross, which is something else we're going to talk about because it keeps yeah. coming back as well. So the rosy cross pops up in lots of secret societies. But the Templars were really interesting because 
really what they were set up to do was to protect pilgrims and that were traveling to Jerusalem, making the yeah, yeah, making the yeah journey. They were making the journey. And one of the problems is, is while you know you were entering what had been just recently a war zone and would continue to be, um, you were also traversing parts of Europe where you didn't know who might be not real safe. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't real safe. So rather than carrying money with them. Before someone left, they would look for their local branch of the Templars. They would hand them the amount of money that they wanted to. Uh, You pay in advance. They kept. So the Templars became a bank. And when you arrived safely, if you weren't murdered on your way, you could withdraw that money from another Templar headquarters. But but talk about power. Whoa. They're being handed a lot of money. Plus, as a charitable order, they were receiving um, tithes from other churches, from Mm -hmm. royal families, and from the Pope. Mm -hmm. So they were slowly building up an incredible financial power base. They were the first group of people, of lenders of money and safeguarders of money to issue checks. Ah. They invented the checking system. Checking that, accounts. Yeah, yeah, and that was a way to sign to get your money back. It was yeah. a form of, a, of a, a slip of paper that you carried with you. Nobody else could get it because no one else would match your signature. And then you could uh-huh. draw your money. Um, uh-huh. the other, and the other thing was, as they slowly spread out and became wealthier, they saw what, what parts of Europe the pilgrims and the dignitaries were coming from, and they would open bases in every major city throughout Europe. Wow. So, so they were set up pretty well. They owned a lot of property. They were building castles and they were building way stations for people, you know, like inns and things like that. And of sure. course, because they were celibate monks, they were considered to be part of the monastic system and they were considered to be very, very safe. Um, they also started buying up as much land as possible. And as a matter of fact, at one point, they owned the island of Malta. The whole island. Wow. The whole island. Yeah. Wow. They were, what in is- essence, the first multinational corporation. Sure. Yeah. We, we, we talk about, you know, the Hudson Bay Company and yeah. the uh, Pacific or the uh, uh West Indies Company. Well, well Michael, and, isn't isn't and, there also isn't there also like a, a, a myth that 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 uh, the treasure or there was huge amounts of treasure that are still out there that belong oh, to the Templars a, that people are looking for? That's a very popular story. And yeah, they're looking for it because you know, money, greed, everybody wants sure. some. So sure. yeah, and, and every lost treasure seems to find the Templars. It comes back in, to them. Yeah. It comes back to them. They're some, uh, yeah. involved somehow. Yeah. They're involved somehow. Yeah. So they had a lot of business dealings. They managed farms. They built vineyards. Then they could sell wine. They could do a whole lot of things. They became a huge corporation, basically, these celibate monks. So, but the whole, Holy Land changed hands. Um mm-hmm. They, the uh, the Muslim forces got better leaders. 
uh, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. a guy named Saladin. And mm-hmm. they, they there was a huge, um, ba- there were huge battles to where Jerusalem changed hands back and mm-hmm. back and forth. And so, um, the the Templars they had to leave, and when they did, there were some other knights groups that you know felt that they were impringing on their turf when they left Jerusalem. Uh, one was the Knights uh, Hospitalier, which were Basically, they were innkeeping knights. They were mm. give, they were they were also building safe houses, basically for people who were traveling and things like that. And then there was a group called the Teutonic Knights, who were German, of course. And um, there was actually feuds back and forth between these groups because they were all there warrior, were competition. Yeah, they were all warrior monks. They were mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know, like the like the. Buddhist monastery in China with a, with sure. a warrior warrior Buddhist monks, which seems like a, such a contradiction in term. But um, needless to say, none of these guys were Franciscans <laughs> <laughs> because um, I don't think they'd be pulling swords on each other. But anyway, finally, um, the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II got Jerusalem, won Jerusalem back. Um, but it continued to change hands back and forth. So the Templars had to skedaddle. They had to relocate in the north. Um, they went to um, Acre, which uh, is a seaport city, um, which I'm probably mispronouncing because my French is terrible. And, um, and, and, and of course, you know, meanwhile, the, the Caliphate was invading Europe on a very regular basis. They had already seized Spain and parts of Spain and Portugal, and um, set up a caliphate there too. So um, the uh, Teutonic Knights um, had founded their own state in Prussia, and Mm. they were controlling Prussia, and the Knights Hospitalier were doing the same thing in Rhodes. Um, Mm. So um, what finally happened was uh, Philip IV of France um, had borrowed a lot of money from the Templars. He, <laughs> the, the French king seemed to be really good at spending money and not yeah. very good at replacing it. Um, okay. And um, he, um, he was really in debt up to his eyeballs. So he decided the only way to get out of debt was to, since they were already in a weakened mode, was to create rumors about the Templars and eventually turn the whole thing over to the Pope and the Inquisition. So he, um, uh, the Pope was listened to him because, you know, he was a a Catholic king and Mm -hmm. um, they basically, the French king ordered an arrest warrant out for the leaders of the Templars and, and had them arrested. Um, now, they made claims uh, that they did all kinds of horrible things in their initiation rites and that they had regular rituals, like they would spit on the cross. As an yeah, the secret rite. worked against them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were supposed to deny Christ. Uh, mm. they, were, they were supposed to be sexually licentious and have all kinds of perversion. And as we know, all you needed was accusation then. You didn't really need proof. You just needed a couple of people willing to say it. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. And we'll get into Put that. Put you on more. the rack, yeah. Drop and your our head episode off. about witch hunts. Uh, yeah. But 
Um, he had the that at that point the head of the Templars, whose name is Jacques Demolay, uh, had him arrested, had him tortured. Uh, these guys were tortured oh, to try to, yeah. to get them to confess. Yeah. And then um, they said um, that he said that you know anything that he said under torture was false. And they said if you confess, we'll let some people go and he said i'll not confess i didn't do anything and so they burned him at the stake oh well there you go uh, and the french king basically took all the money in split some of it with rome and refinanced his um his treasury by um you know destroying the knights templar so that was the end of the templars basically huh? pretty much um hmm. there were bits and pieces of them in other countries um hmm. There's a very famous, allegedly Templar, Templar um, um, chapel in Scotland, Ooh. and uh, it's it was part of the plot line as as were the Templars in Dan Brown's uh, novel, The Da Vinci Code. Yes, uh, yes, and 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 so the Templars, um, you know, what was left of them was absorbed into other groups and the leaders were all dead. Um, so it was eventually reconstituted into what was called the Order of Christ and the Supreme Quarter of Christ of the Holy See. And those are considered to be the successor successors of the Knights Templar, but they no longer in banking, mm. needless to say. And um, yeah, they, they um, it was interesting that the same things that they were accused of um, practicing witchcraft, they said that they they worshipped a statue uh, called that they called Baphomet, which was a corruption of the word Mohammed. We discussed that last time. Yes, and, yes, and and that you had to kiss the feet of the statue. Yeah, like yeah, that. idolatry, yeah. idolatry, sodomy, all kind, mm -hmm. anything they could throw at them, which is exactly. The Cathars we talked about, it's exactly yeah. what they accused them of before they put were putting them to death. So um, that's one of the first societies from the them that we have this idea of these grand masters who oversaw everything. They oversaw the spiritual development of the knights and you know their chastity and all their activities. And these were the guys who wrote down all the rules. They didn't get their rules from Rome. They created them themselves, and they were very dependent on their grandmasters, at least until they, the grandmasters were rounded up and all beheaded. So um, anyway, uh, moving on from the Templars, I want to talk about another group that people have heard of, and I've ever actually met members of this group, and those, oh. are, those are the Rosicrucians. Yeah, I've, I don't know too much about this. I'm eager to learn. Well, um, these were a group of spiritual seekers. Um, the, the Rosicrucians were organized around a group of manifestos. Then these manifestos kind of showed up in the late, in the mid, early 1600s and well into the end of the 1600s. And the Rosicrucians were really well organized by the 1700s mm. and um they were and they were very influential 
And one of their um, symbols is, of course, the Rosy Cross, which they... Oh, back to the Rosy Cross. Yeah, which they got from, which is what Rosicrucian means. Right, yeah. Follower of the Rosy Cross. So um, the basic manifesto, which kind of was claimed to have been found, this is one of the themes we'll re go back to again and again and again, was called the Fama Fraternalis, Fraternitalis. And okay. it tells the story of a German doctor and a mystic philosopher who was known as Christian Rosenkreutz. And okay. supposedly, Christian Rosen Rosenkreutz lived to be 106 years old, very biblical, um, mm -hmm. and was his, the year 1376 is when he supposedly lived, which was called, they called, the, the Rosicrucians called it the year of their Christian father. Um, uh, Rosenkreutz was founded, and supposedly he studied in the Middle East, met various uh, supreme masters in the Middle East. He um, studied Sufism, yeah, um, which is the mystical uh, side of uh, Islam. Also became well well versed in Kabbalah, which mm. is the mystical tracks and magical um, ideas in certain parts of Judaism. Judaism, and, yeah. And uh, so everyone who became a Rosicrucian, and it started with no more than eight members. They weren't supposed to have more than eight members. They were all considered to be doctors and all bachelors of vowed virginity. So there's the celebration. Uh, wow. Just like in the Knights of Templar. Yeah, um, yeah. And each member would undertake a, uh, an oath to heal the sick without collecting any payments. I see. So um, what a what a mix there. I mean, yeah. we've got the we've got the uh, the cult like leader mm -hmm. with these secrets and skills and wisdoms who's very special. Yeah. And now we got healers who, who lived long before the knowledge and money. <laughs> yeah. Who, the, who lived long before the organization was started and yeah. it was only discovered through these secret manuscripts that suddenly just showed up. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's the theme right there. Uh -huh. um, so um, the uh, first Rosicrucians uh, were um, influenced by a group of Hermetic scholars. There's the idea of uh, Hermes as the god of secret knowledge and his yeah. things Healing. like that. And um, they were also influenced by the writings of John Dee, the fellow we talked about last week. Yes. was looking for the Enochian language and mm -hmm. trying to communicate with the world beyond and was also the uh, chief astrologer and science advisor to Queen Elizabeth I. Um, so you'll love this. Um, there was a, the final book that was written was translated as the title of the Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Um, yeah. So um, his that book is very similar to the writings of another guy we talked about last week, Paracelsus. Mm. And um, so this is 
how the Rosicrucian movement came about. And they were seekers of enlightenment. Um, they were um, supposed, they were rumored to be a secret brotherhood of alchemists and sages. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And they wanted to transform both the arts and science and politics. They wanted to end wars of both political wars and religious wars mm. by creating a, you ready? A new age. Very idealistic, yeah, yeah new age. A yeah. philosophical new age. Um, mm -hmm. And they would, you know, posters would appear in major cities like Paris and places like that, um, you know, talking about, you know, this new age, come to a meeting, that sort of thing. And so the Rosicrucians um, were uh, in Germany, they were in Hungary, they were in Bohemia, um, and the Brotherhood of the Rose Cross began to grow, but quietly in sort of like an underground movement. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of their structure uh, was based on the medieval guild structure. So there were, there were apprentices who went through an initiation. They served at the discretion of masters. Yeah. And most of their goings on were considered to be very, very secret. Yeah. So there's the pattern right there. And the first group to really lay it out were the Rosicrucians. Mm -hmm. And they were, they've been very influential over the years. Now, we're going to talk after the next group about Freemasonry. And the Rosicrucians were deeply influential in the founding of Freemasonry. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, you know, there is this, um, to, to, from all the people who have done research, um, sort of objectively about the Rosicrucians. No one's ever really found Christian Rosenkreutz. Um, mm. They think he's a figurehead that was created for this group. For basically. convenience, yeah. Yeah, for the sake of convenience. And, yeah. um, of course, all these, um, all these manifestos that suddenly sprung into view were probably written much later than they claim to be. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. By the people who are trying to organize this um and there are a lot of references to um you know old egyptian beliefs within mm. some of the codes of the rosicrucians mm -hmm. um so a lot of borrowing yeah a lot of borrowing yeah um so uh there there some of the people who are thought to be the actual people behind it were um, a German family from the 13th century who had a castle, and I love this, in the Thuringian Forest, which is um, north of Hesse, where Ooh. some of my ancestors came, ancestors came from. And well, there it makes he sense. Yeah, Hessians came from. <laughs> so um, Rosicrucians continue to exist to this day. When I was at a Franciscan university as an art museum curator many moons ago, Every mm -hmm. summer, a group of Rosicrucians would come. Um, some of them came from as far away as California, and okay. they would have a retreat at right. Franciscan wow. University. And wow. I, I, got, I got to meet them and get to know them, and I actually went to one of their little meetings. They were willing to share. They were <laughs> did, did you get an initiation, Mike? No, I did, didn't get initiated. Please but, do but, tell. <laughs> but, but I gave them a tour of our art museum and okay. you know, the exhibitions and had a really nice... And they were very sweet people. 
Yeah. They were as nice as any group of, I don't want to use the word new agers, but I, I will use the term seekers. Uh -huh. People uh -huh. seeking knowledge, people mm -hmm. see, seeing, seeking mystical revelation or mm -hmm. mystical understanding, awareness yeah. and understanding. Yeah. yeah. They were lovely, lovely people. So that's the Rosicrucians. And they're pro and as one of the early of these earliest of these groups, they're probably one of the most foundational. You know, Influential. Yeah. 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 So here the next group we're going to talk about is one that scares people. Yeah, yeah. That uh, that when that uh, when that came up there on your list, I was a little spooked out by it. Those those guys are kind of uh, cloak and dagger and murders and poisons and or, didn't, or didn't they or, they, or they so killed a few popes didn't they they or so <laughs> it's claimed yeah <laughs> but we're talking about the illuminati or basically the bavarian illuminati oh, um, Bavaria? i didn't realize oh yeah that. they were founded in uh in bavaria and interestingly enough in around 1776 <laughs> You know, and that's Bavaria is where my ancestry is yeah. on my dad's side. So, so, so they're kind of a product of the Age of Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were founded by a guy named Adam Weishaupt. Mm. Haupt with PT Hopft. at the end. Haupt. Haupt. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, so they wanted to put an end to the machinery of the purveyors of injustice um they wanted to control them but not dominate them um and they uh they wanted to oppose superstition obscurantism religious influence over public life and abuses of state power so there's a political element here very political yes oh, yeah. i didn't realize um, that the group was disliked by conservatives and religious critics. And that's where the claims that the Illuminati continued underground. They were responsible for the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. They were a very short-lived group in, re in reality. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are tons of conspiracy theories about them. And you just mm -hmm. outlined several of them uh, mm -hmm. in your comment about them. Because people to this day will say that the Illuminati are, you know, they're behind the New World Order. They're behind yeah. the Bilderberg Group. They're behind yeah. all these. Yeah, the things. eye on the dollar bill. Sure. Yeah. The, in the yeah. pyramid. Yeah. 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 So anyway, the society, it was expanded um, uh, and was growing by 1778. Um, There's a Massenhausen was the guy who took over and really began to develop this organization in Germany and in Bavaria and you know throughout that whole region. Um, so he, there was a system of espionage set up mm -hmm. so that the members were encouraged to spy on one another to make mm -hmm. sure that no one was spreading secrets to the mm -hmm. outside. Um, mm -hmm. Novices who were brought in the new recruits after their initiation were um, permitted to recruit. Um, Christians of good character were sought with Jews mm. and with Jews and pagans excluded along with mm. women and members of other secret societies. Mm. 
They didn't, they wanted to be, they, their, their favorite candidates were rich, docile, willing to learn, and aged between 18 and 30. Well, you know, that what's interesting there to me, <laughs> in, in it being in Bavaria, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. I mean, that yeah. sounds an awful lot like the same kind of attitude that the Nazis eventually had, huh? Well, in a way, Which we yeah. know we're influenced by a lot of this. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dark, there's a dark, dark kind of uh, there's power. There's the Thule Society uh, that was created in Germany, which was a secret society, mm. and they were deeply into mysticism. Mm -hmm. They dis they dissolved when the Nazis came to power, but they were a group of, you know, philosophy teachers from universities and people yeah. like that who were also caught up in this idea of Aryan nationalism. Uh, and they they sort of bowed out when Hitler came to power, because the interesting thing about Hitler, in spite of all the Indiana Jones movie, is he really was not interested in the supernatural at all. Right. He personally was didn't he really wasn't, care about he, it. He yeah. really didn't care about it. But yeah. people under him they certainly of, used it. Yeah. They used it and some were downright obsessed with it. Yes. Um so you Himmler, know, it's, yeah. Yeah, Himmler. Um so anyways, um they created what's called the Grand Lodge of Prussia, which was modeled on a um a, a uh Masonic type temple with a Masonic mm. type structure. And mm -hmm. um, they created a premier lodge in England. They borrowed a lot from Freemasonry. And mm -hmm. um, eventually people came in and try, started uh, re trying to reform the group. And at that point, it developed big rifts and basically, like a lot of these groups, fell apart. Yeah. And part of it was the dislike of Protestants for Catholics and vice mm -hmm. versa, um, mm -hmm. and that had a lot to do with it. And so they created a new system and they tried to expand. They, I mean, they were in Prussia, but they were also in um, Berlin. They were in um, England uh, mm. and they were sort of like following in the footprints uh, or the footsteps of um, the Freemasons. In okay. Words. So, um, Eventually, um, they were more or less stamped out. Um, they reached their, their high point um, at the, around 1784. There mm. were about 650 members of the Illuminati at that point. But the political people, the, the, the traditional kings and dukes of Saxony and people like that, and of course, of Austria-Hungary and places like that, didn't like their political philosophy one little bit. And they even managed to get into a conflict with the Rosicrucians. And they had a little bit of uh, battling back and forth. So eventually, the neither the Rosicrucians nor the Freemasons wanted to have anything to do with the Illuminati. And mm. the group rather quickly began to decline. And as more people became aware of them, especially traditional Christians like Roman Catholics uh, and Lutherans, they were, um, I'd say, suppressed. Yeah, suppressed, and, outlawed, uh, yeah. Yeah, though they didn't go underground. Uh, hmm. And there is still um, some fraternal organizations that claim to be descended from the original 650 members of the Illuminati. Hmm. Um, they use... Variations like the Illuminati Order, 
And, mm -hmm. uh, and there's one we'll talk about here where all this begins to come together with magic. Uh, and one of the groups claiming to be part of the Illuminati or influenced by them is called the Ordo Templi Orientalis. Hmm. That's an interesting group. So we'll get to them. But mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of theories that the Illuminati are um, behind a lot of conspiracies. There are conspiracy theories about them. Sure. Um, and they still survive. Uh, they claim that things like the French Revolution, mm -hmm. battle, the Battle of Waterloo, mm -hmm. the assassination of President Kennedy. Oh, yeah. And a large alleged plots by communists to hasten mm -hmm. up the coming of what they call the New World Order mm -hmm. and by infiltrating the Hollywood film system. So if you're familiar with the McCarthy era and the McCarthy sure. army trials, sure. they were looking for communists under every yeah. bed. You know, yeah. part of that becomes sort of a search for the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, once again, the secret secret society and of um, enlightened people who They're are everywhere, willing, man. willing to become communists. Yeah. But interestingly enough, so many of them that were actually persecuted by mccarthy turned out to be jews yeah it's, yeah. yeah it's sad okay so we're going to talk continue our talk about this but we're going to talk about some some secret societies that aren't very secret um mm. we've alluded to this one and this group was deeply deeply influenced by the rosencrucians and that's freemasonry yeah Freemasonry. see freemasonry claims to have a guild structure that was a creation and an influence by the medieval craft guilds. Sure. And specifically, they are builders. They are yeah. masons. Okay. Yeah. Um, they uh, probably started sometime in the late 1600s, uh, early 1700s. And grew very quickly because a lot of people joined the Masons. One of the primary things was you had to be a professing Christian. You had to believe in God, but a specific God, the architect of the universe. Mm. And their initiation ritual is a reenactment of, now this isn't what we talked about last week. This is the biblical creation of the temple in Jerusalem by King Solomon. Yes. Supposedly King Solomon hired a great builder mm -hmm. and a mathematician named Hiram Abiff. Yeah. And, and Hiram Abiff was waylaid one night uh, by a group of men who wanted to know the secrets of his trade. Okay. And he refused to share them. Okay. And so these gentlemen murdered him. Ah. But Hiram Abiff rose again, and the temple was completed. It, yeah. And so if you look at the symbols of Freemasonry, it's a sure. it's a Mason square. Yeah, a square. And a compass. A compass, yeah. With, with the letters crossed over each other, yeah, yeah they're crossed yeah. over each other with yeah. or without a letter G. Right. Uh, 
but um, so that is the initiation order of the, the Masonic lodges. And they have, once again, degrees of degrees, of levels of different yeah. levels of attainment mm -hmm. uh, as you learn their Masonic secrets. Mm -hmm. um, this became a very, very popular activity for movers and shakers in Europe after the, sure. Ref after the Reformation. Sure. Because old time uh, this, LinkedIn. Yeah, <laughs> this was this was this was a group that claimed to have real knowledge. It only was available to Christians, i.e. Protestants, yeah. um, to join. And eventually it became a way for powerful men to get together and sure. plan network, business, network, yeah. plan business yeah. deals and things like that. And to me, in many ways, it still is like that. Yeah, it so, is. So, you know, these lodges sprung up everywhere. They were mm -hmm. in Spain. They were in your on the European continent. Uh, there were Masonic lodges in Russia, though mm -hmm. they were often all these were often banned depending on who the king or the czar or whoever was. Uh, they were in England and Scotland, and each country created their sort of um, own version. Yeah, so flavor, a, yeah. A Scottish rite, you mm -hmm. know, and, and things like that. So everybody has to say they believe in, in, a, in a supreme being. Mm -hmm. um, they must be credible in their ways. In other words, mm -hmm. they don't look like an obvious thief or liar or anything like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, you cannot discuss religion in the lodge. Um, so um, several of these, like the Scandinavian right only accepted Christians, the Scottish right. Uh, there were others that were considered more liberal. And they didn't require a declaration of a belief in any deity. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so uh, you do various swearing ins as you approach each yeah. level of, you know, belonging. To yeah, I, having, having, gr having grown up Catholic, Michael, I, I remember uh, when I was a child, uh, the conversations surrounding Masons and Catholics oh, yeah. that, that you could not be uh, uh, a Mason, if you were a Catholic, Catholicism wouldn't allow that. Yeah, they they dislike the Mason, the uh, the, no. uh, yeah. the because of the secrecy or the alliance or allegiance uh, to the group was too strong. Yeah, and what, and and a Christian couple of popes theory. actually went out of their way to condemn. They wrote papal mm. bulls condemning Freemasonry. Yeah, forbidding Catholics to join. So right. if you want to get anywhere in the business world and your city was dominated by people who belong to Freemasonry or any yeah. kind of lodge or shrine involved yeah. with Freemasonry, um, you know, you kind of had to find a way in yeah. or you could be really easily excluded. Yeah. So, um, and, and much of their beliefs are symbolic, you know, once again, going sure. around this idea of the construction of the Temple of Solomon and that sort of thing. There were, there were secret rituals, secret handshakes, secret passwords. So there was a whole secretive side to this. Mm -hmm. But among the spinoffs, of course, in North America, the first lodge was established in Pennsylvania, interestingly enough. 
Really? And uh, yeah, um, the, it was part of the Grand Lodge of England, and they granted a charter to the colony of Pennsylvania for there to be a, a lodge established. Um, also, there were ones throughout New England and Nova Scotia, and you know, by, you know, there were there was a, most a lot of the founding fathers, not all, but a lot of the founding fathers were Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Washington in particular. And yeah. uh, when they laid, and this is still a thing of great controversy and something that Br- Dan Brown, once again, has gotten some mileage out in his books. Yeah. Um, you know, George, George Washington insisted when they laid the cornerstone of the Capitol that there be a Masonic Masonic symbol on and, it. Oh, yeah, ceremony. Yeah, a symbol uh, and a And he wore his, his Masonic apron. He was amazing. Yes. Yeah, and, there's a famous um, painting of that. I yeah, and he was holding his tr- his trial upright, yeah. you know, yeah. and everything like that, while he calls upon the um, the blessings of the architect of the universe to yeah. to bless the uh, establishment of the American capital. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so yeah, Freemasonry is still around. It's had its sure. break up, breakups, especially yeah. in England, uh, which we'll be getting to. Um, so, uh, and there was French lodges, there's Italian lodges. Eventually they decided to allow women in, but Mm. they have their, uh, they would have their own separate group. And there have been anti-Mason religious groups. Uh, we talked about the Catholics. There was other religious groups who didn't like masonry. Um, there were also political groups that were opposed to them because they saw these people gathering power you know if, mm-hmm. if all all the people who have big businesses in your city are masons you know and the people who it's don't a lot have of big votes business, yeah it's a lot of votes yeah so um uh the church of england mm. has been especially friendly to the uh, masonic movement mm. and um uh, there is um, there, and eventually they began to let some Jews in. Mm. Um, uh, in the Middle East, in Islamic countries, they are opposed to Freemasonry, but they're afraid they're opposed to secular movements like Zionism. Right. So that might have something to do with their. Yeah, well, the their basis opposition. of this. Of Islam is yeah, yeah. only so, one God very strong. So, so we all we all we all know, um, no doubt, people who belong to the Oriental Masonic movement, which mm. are the Shriners. Those are sure, those charming sure. guys the with circus, their, yeah, with their, yeah. With their fezes, they, fezes, yeah, on a circus. They raise huge amounts of money for children, for children, and yeah. hot, disabled hospitals, kids. disabled yeah. kids, and things like that. They really do good deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, they can be very controlling as far as the commerce within a town or a city. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a little kid growing up, one of our next door neighbors was a, was a Shriner and he, um, was part of their parade group, which rides the little mini bikes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I, my clearest memory of him was there were on some summer nights, he would get drunk and go out in Bermuda shorts and his fez and ride his <laughs> bike up and down the street. Um, <laughs> I, I know I'm not making fun of all 
um, Oriental Rite Masons. Um, right. And and oh, and the Masons. There's another little interesting thing about them. They created a youth organization that young people uh. joined. People were under the age of 21, and they named it the De Malay. After Jacques de Malay, the ah. former, former high master of the Knights Templar. So, so, so it, it, it was an effort to, to get more people involved in, in, the, yeah. in the movement, uh, just to get, yeah. raise kids up in the movement. Yeah. And the women have their own specific um, they have their own group, organization yeah. they can with their own to, rituals. And, yeah. they, and they, can inter they interact with each other. It's a, like mm -hmm. a women's auxiliary. So, um, and the Masons are still around. They're still with us. Sure. Um, they're much more respected than they used to be. Mm -hmm. And they're spread out, I think, every country in the world. I don't know about communist countries, but every country in the world that I'm aware of has some sort of Masonic-oriented group mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ex existing peacefully within their borders. So, um, so they're not exactly a secret, though their rituals seem to be. So I want to talk about a couple of groups that were set up um, not in direct competition or opposition with the Masons, but they have some of the trappings. Both these groups are Catholic. One is called the Knights of Columbus. Oh, yeah, KFC. Yeah, the KFC, yeah. 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 Yeah, we're not talking Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, no, no. Great Knights place to have a wedding Columbus. reception, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're famous for that. So um, that was actually started as a fraternal organization to offer insurance and health care to poor immigrants who were oh, often, okay. often Catholic, who were pouring yeah. into this country at the end of the 19th century. Yeah, the, Irish, yeah, the, yeah. the Irish, yeah. The Irish, yeah. Um, and um, so they started an organization that was basically a benevolent organization mm -hmm. where they sold insurance yeah. uh, to, and helped people get jobs and things like that. And they provided shelters and things like that. But they're also heavily invested in promoting Catholic liturgy mm -hmm. and a mm -hmm. very, very conservative view of Roman Catholicism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's part of that. Um, the last thing I was aware of Knights of Columbus doing, there was a replica of the Shroud of Turin. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. that, that great multi-debunked relic. You're right, right. Came, yeah. came to this country and it was brought here and then very solemnly guarded on yeah. every place it was displayed sure. by the Knights of Columbus. Knights of, yeah. Knights they stood there with their knives um, sure. and everything like that. Symbolically, um, yeah. Yeah, reverence, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, unlike the scimitars that are part of the um, Oriental Shrine. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, which my, um, my grandfather disparagingly referred to them since they had scimitars as cheese knifers. Cheese knifers. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Anyway, so the Knights of Columbus, they still exist, though sure. they're, they're, they're losing members like crazy. Um, yeah. they're, 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 the membership is not growing at this point. In time. Yeah. And they may indeed become a thing of the past unless they you know, can turn that trend around. The other group, which has a lot of bad press is a very is a relatively secretive group but not as much as people would want you to believe opus day opus day yeah yeah we yeah. started talk about conservative right yeah. wow yeah yeah well, let's go back to latin mass yeah that's the interesting part because when they 
poll the members in Europe, there are as many liberal members as there are conservative. And as oh. you know, in Europe, liberal means something very different than it does here. Sure. Yeah, our most liberal people, you know, Bernie Sanders is a conservative in most European mm -hmm. countries. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, anyway, yeah, Opus Dei uh, looks for membership to be um, very conservative, um, though not all people involved in Opus Dei are. They are to be very pious. They're pr primarily to practice piety. One of the ways they are encouraged to practice it is through what we'll call self-mortification. Yes. So probably perhaps flogging oneself, wearing mm -hmm. uncomfortable clothing, mm -hmm. things like that. And then you offer that suffering up for the sake God. of man, for mankind yeah. and offer mm -hmm. it up to God. Mm -hmm. um, probably the reason Opus Dei is considered to be so sinister is because the Spanish priest who founded the organization was also a politically involved as a great follower of Generalissimo Francesco Franco. Sure, politics uh, gets involved. Yeah. Well, and he was a fascist. Yes. So um, that is probably where the conservative wing of Opus Dei gets its grief from. And there's mm -hmm. lots of conspiracies about Opus Dei. Once again, they pop up in Dan Brown novels all the time as sort of the sinister bad guys within the Catholic Church who know all the all the secret stuff. Well, yeah, yeah. well, well, and, and in any uh, in any case, you know, organizations, orders that gain too much power inside of the church are often controlled yeah. or, or perceived as a threat to the power of the Holy See. Yeah. So they have to be carefully monitored, you know, and used actually sometimes, I mean, yeah. to be used by the Pope for different purposes. So it's a mutual usury. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, but when I went down the list of prominent members, I literally found as many political and social liberals in that mm -hmm. list as I found very, very conservative, almost right wing. Well, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's even, probably more even, about power than it is about particular yeah. politics, the perception yeah. of what kind of power they have to yeah. uh, influence. Right. And, and a lot of that has been influenced by, once again, the fact that, um, you know, its founder was a pro-Franco priest from so and Franco was not not a great guy. Delightful, yeah, he was delightful. Another yeah. delightful fascist, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. all right. So now we're going to really get into the weird stuff. We're going to talk about. <laughs> Hasn't been weird stuff. enough, yeah. Well, no, it's we're going to get back to the magic thing. Um, okay, good. Cool. So, um, a spinoff in England of the Grand Masonic Lodges was a new group. Which was which had a structure much like a Masonic lodge, but uh -huh. it was known as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Wow, impressive and, name! And, yeah, and right in the center of their um, symbol, which is a huge cross with all kinds of arcane symbols inscribed in it, in the center is a gold cross with a red rose there's a rose there we go yeah. 
So they, they at least acknowledge the origins of these yeah. kind of society. Claiming their roots, yeah. So they were a secret society, very much so, very much structured like the Masons. Um, they were interested in mysticism, metaphysics, the occult, and paranormal activity. Oh. And they came into being in the late 19th and early 20th century. And they okay. were a, a secret society that was known as a magical order. Okay. This is and England, you said. This is, this is in England. Land yeah. of the, the Druids. So yeah. Also, Germany, too. Well, you know, yeah. the funny yeah. thing about the Druids is we don't really know very much about them because most of what was written by the Druids were written by the Romans, and the Romans killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they say history is written by the so they the victor. They, yeah, they were yeah. accused of human sacrifice and obscene occult rites, and mm -hmm. you know the idea of the Burning Man came from mm -hmm. supposedly came from the writings about the Druids mm -hmm. and things like that. But we don't have any actual Druid writings, so we don't know who they really were or if they did all the stuff that they've been accused of. Mm -hmm. we, the only thing we seem to know for sure is that they worshiped in groves. Mm -hmm. trees. The trees were sacred. Mm -hmm. And if you look at some early pre-Christian German religions, you'll find groves of trees sacred to Odin. And of course, there was a great influx of um, the Jutes, the mm -hmm. Angles and the Saxons. Of course, mm -hmm. they came after the Romans. But the Jutes came in earlier, and the Celtic tribes came in earlier than that. And they may have borne some of these early Germanic beliefs along with them and set up practices of mm -hmm. their own kind and eventually created their own rituals in jolly old England. So there were three founders of the, of the Golden Dawn. Uh, William Robert Woodman, mm -hmm. William Wynne Westcott, and mm -hmm. Samuel Liddell, Mathers. They, and they were all originally Freemasons. Um, so it was based on, of course, a hierarchy of masters and, mm -hmm. initi and initiation, right, initiation mm -hmm. rights, just like all these other groups we were talking mm -hmm. about. Um, however, this is one of the groups, um, sorry about that, this is one of those groups that uh, admitted women right off the bat. Um, I see. They, they because they thought the sexes should be equal. Oh. Okay, so they have an ex esoteric philosophy based on hermeticism. You know, once again, this idea of Hermes, mm. Hermes Trismegistus, the fusion of Egyptian and Greek mysticism together. Mm -hmm. um, they uh, had awareness of the four classical elements. Um, you know, earth, wind or earth, air, fire, water, which oh. in combination, alchemists would use, try to use in combination to create alchemical formulas. Yeah. Um, they believed in astrology, in mm -hmm. divination through tarot, mm -hmm. and something called geomancy. Yeah. Um, the, inner, the inner order literally taught magic, included uh, mm. scrying, once again, mm -hmm. looking at, looking for mm -hmm. wisdom, by peering mm -hmm. into another dimension sure. through a reflective surface, sure. astral travel, and the practice of alchemy, yeah. and quite a mix of quite a mix in layering there, isn't it? It's all it, well. Talk and they, about the new age that we know about now and new and age the, 
philosophy. And the third, the third, well, Madam Blavatsky, who yeah. we'll eventually talk right. about, this is right up her ballywick. Yeah. Um, yep. So also was the idea that everything they knew was handed down to them from a hidden group called the Secret Chiefs. Well, there you and go. they were they were skilled practitioners mm -hmm. um, and special they, knowledge yeah. and they had the special knowledge and they communicated with the lower orders through spirit communication. Uh -huh. so, so somebody had to have a crystal ball or scurrying mm. stone to talk to these ascended masters. Yeah. OK. Wow. And this, these guys were the were the producers of what was known as the cipher manuscript. They were written in English, but they were in a, written in a cipher. So you, they had to be translated. Uh -huh. and, the, and these, once again, encompassed Kabbalah, astrology, tarot, yeah. occultism, alchemy, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So the manuscripts um, were given to Kenneth uh, Mackenzie, who was a Masonic scholar, and then to the Reverend A.F.A. A. Woodward, um, who... Uh, Francis King, he was a writer on the occult, described as the fourth founder of the Golden Dawn. Uh. So the documents didn't excite Woodf uh, Woodford, and he passed them along to William Wynne Westcott, who managed to decode them. So here you have these secret manuscripts written in code, which just suddenly appear, and they're handed off to the Freemasons, but they're mm -hmm. not that interested in this. So one of them takes it, and translates it and then yeah. runs runs with it you see yeah. the pattern once yeah again. sure sure see okay. a whole new cult yeah yeah so mathers and westcott um worked together they created a set of rituals based on the cipher manuscripts um and he actually created the the, the curriculum and the rituals of the second order which he called the rose rube at Aurier Crucis, or the Robe, Ruby Rose and Golden Cross. <laughs> oh, there's, there's, old there's, there's, there's old friends. There's old friends. There's that old symbolism old. going yeah. the whole way back yeah. to the Templars. Okay, yeah. so they claimed that there was a woman in Germany named Anna Spengel, who was, um, her name was supposedly founded in these manuscripts, oh, and wow. that, that she was well known to the secret chiefs, and she would be a contact for the Golden Dawn. Uh, and she supposedly granted honorary grades of exemptus adeptus. In other words, they were well, high masters on yeah. Westcott, Mathers, and Woodman. Well, isn't and, that something that that worked out? <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows if she actually exists or not. But uh, they, they went to see her. After she's five, somebody's mistress. Perhaps. After decoding the manuscript. <laughs> and she yeah. said, oh. You can join the secret chiefs and yeah. you can found the order and write all the rules because you guys understand and nobody else does. So they were really interested in metaphysics and um, metaphysical teachings. And um, the first, the one cohesive group was known as the first order or the outer order. There was an inner order, which became active in 1892. And the second order was full of members who were considered adepts. Uh -huh. In other words, magic practitioners. Yeah. They had completed the first course of study. They had uh, established themselves in the second course. And um, so various temples began to 
bring up as part of the Golden Dawn. Um, there was one in Weston, there was one in Bradford, there was a temple in London, of course. And um, eventually they declared that it was hard to um, get in touch for the average person with the secret chiefs and that they would only communicate with the physical living chiefs, yeah. high, the high order, if yeah. they wanted to. Yeah. So you couldn't Privilege. seek them out. Yeah, they yeah. had to talk directly. Besides, have to go through a medium directly yeah. to you, and mm -hmm. their their rituals were based on the writings that were titled "The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreuz." Well, be darned. So, a lot of the rituals followed in that kind of tradition, mm -hmm. and it was a form of spiritual esotericism. Okay, the, so they pulled. 100 members from every class in Victorian society. Unlike the uh, Freemasons in England, they were not concerned with the class struggle. And they let women in right away. Mm -hmm. If you were interested in this, you could get in. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a few people. There was uh, a famous actress named Florence Farr. There was uh, the Irish po poet William Butler Yeats. Uh, Arthur Machen, the Welsh author, um, Evelyn Underhood, um, some other members were, um, uh, let's see here, um, British novelists. Uh, it, can, it can only it can only help your organization's reputation to have famous people in it. Algernon me... Blackwood. Um, yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a, sure. was a member because oh, yeah. well, Doyle's wet. Doyle, Doyle was a strange man. Yeah. He was very interesting. Yeah, he yeah. claimed to have created a detective based on logic, but he yeah. lo he loved every bit of supernatural stuff that came down his pipe. Oh, there, there, and he was there a member of the order. Stories. Of the uh, he was a he was a friend of Houdini, and um, yeah. Houdini would actually show him how the tricks were done, and he still believed Houdini had special powers. Oh yeah, even. Even though you know, Harry, Harry always said, I have no, but these are tricks, man. These are tricks. <laughs> Harry Houdini was, I hate to use the term mama's boy, but he was very devoted to his Sure mother. he was. Yeah, yeah and, he was. And when she, and he, she was his world. Yes. And he, yeah, he when was she devastated died, when she passed. He was yeah. totally devastated. So yeah. he was aware of spiritualism. And so he sought yeah. out spiritualists and suddenly he talked to her. Suddenly yeah. he recognized sleight of hand tricks. Yeah, well, did did you you do you know the story behind that? When he went to the spiritual, a very famous, I can't, I don't know which one it was, but yeah. he went to a very famous spiritualist at the time to talk to his mother. And uh, uh, he's in the room, and his mother appears, and she starts speaking to him. He gets up, turns on the light, and says, "This is a fraud." And the lady says, "Why is it a fraud?" And he said, "My mother didn't speak English; she only could speak Yiddish, and yeah. and the ghost is speaking English." So the ghost is speaking English, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So here's some more names. Uh, last week we mentioned Israel Regard, mm -hmm. uh, who was an occult writer. Um, mm -hmm. He actually wrote and publicized the Golden Dawn well beyond their abilities. Sax Romer, who created the great yellow peril character of Fu Man, Dr. Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Bram Stoker was a, me was a really? member. Yeah. Wow. The uh, Irish... Uh, theater manager and author of Dracula and yeah. other very, very weird and scary books. Um, yeah. And like I said, 
uh, the British poet William Butler Yeats was a oh, member. Yeats. So that was a powerful group of people. Yeah. But eventually, um, the leadership began to dissolve a little bit. Mm. And, as it always does, yeah. As it always does. And the various temples that opened up began sort of like opposing one another, that each one wanted to be in control of the group. And as the original founders died off, it left basically one guy in charge. And that one guy became interested in a British writer and mystic mystic person um, who was deeply involved in magic. And he inducted him into the Golden Dawn. And eventually this guy took over and he was so disliked by some of the membership of the Golden Dawn that it literally split the organization in half. Uh, that, and that gentleman's name was Alistair Crowley. Crowley. Yeah. I'll be darned. Back so, to Crowley. Yeah. So um, Alistair Crowley is an interesting guy. Um, he, of course, eventually spun off his own. Sure. Story. Uh, and he created his own religion. Yeah. Crowley was basically born fairly wealthy. He was an uh -huh. upper he was an upper cruster. Yeah. Never really worked for a living. Did but, anything, you know, right. But, but he wrote. He did write. Yeah. He, he was a prolific writer. And yeah, he no. primarily wrote about things that he was interested in, which was mostly promoting himself. <laughs> and traveling to every exotic port of call and trying anything that he felt like doing. Yeah, it became quite a hedonist, yeah. An extreme hedonist, yeah. And um, he, um, he, part of the way through all of this, he decided that he had had secret knowledge imparted to him. Of course. By a spirit called Bayon. Okay. Uh, or Abayon. And uh -huh. Abayon um, basically dictated an entire book of behavior and initiation ritual, uh -huh. things like that, that Crowley titled The Book of the Law. Yeah. And his, um, his famous quote from The Book of the Law, though, like a lot of quotes, it's kind of quote mine, there's more to yeah. it than this, is the basis of the law is to do what thou wilt. Yes. Whatever yeah. pleases you. Yeah. Yeah. So he was very hedonistic and he eventually gathered enough occult knowledge. And it was sort of like a, a deli occult knowledge. So he, he took something from yeah. this and something from yeah. that and put it together using his book of the law. And he eventually founded, uh, besides the Ordo Templi Orientis, uh, which he claimed was the true heirs of the Knights of Templar, too, by the way, with all their alleged occult practices. Um, and it was very much structured like masonry, which, of course, was structured like the Rosicrucians. Um, but um, he uh, created his own religion to go with his mystical beliefs. And that religion was known as Thelema. Mm. And Thelema was a religion that um, 
basically worship the goddess, worship mm. the old gods, and believe that a new age could be could come about if you were willing to do the proper rituals. And among those rituals was something that Crowley called sex magic. We've Back heard to the hedonism, chaos. yeah. We've mm -hmm. heard of chaos magic. Yeah, mm -hmm. Crowley was a, was a famous drunkard. He was a famous mm -hmm. drug addict. Mm -hmm. He experimented with heroin. Mm -hmm. um, he was uh, very licentious. He had affairs with many, many people, both women and men. He was married to mm -hmm. a woman. But, you know, he's married to a couple women, actually. Um, he, um, he wrote the Holy Books of Thelema. And um, this is how he, that's how he established his religion. Um, he began to pay students and, and teach them these magical, the sex magic practices. Um, <laughs> and this, it's a little weird. I mean, basically, oh. it's, doesn't involve normative sex. It involves masturbation rituals by either mm -hmm. a man or a woman, or sometimes both, while performing spells and chanting and things like that, all mm -hmm. in order to um, invoke spirits from beyond. Yeah. Okay. So um, he um, created this religious group and this was like the last straw for the hermetic order of the golden dawn they mm -hmm. kicked them they kicked them out and it yeah. basically caused that group to begin to fall apart to a yeah. great but he was deeply involved with a lot of the mysticism at the time um he um explored uh the first inklings of people trying to write down what was European folklore. He was mm -hmm. deep, deeply influenced by that. Um, he, um, these rituals were called workings. And mm. he had different ones that involved different people and things like that. And um, he started using drugs again. He, he actually wrote a book in 1920 called The Diary of a Drug Fiend. Mm. Um, and he, he said that he was, he called himself the most evil person in the world because he said every morning he murdered 2000 children, hmm. which was a, a veiled reference to masturbation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he was, he was, um, seems pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, uh, off the and, deep end, absolutely. And, and deeply, deeply involved. Um, but he had declining health. And around the time of World War II, he created a new person running his, his group. I, I guess you could call it a cult. And that was um, Grady McMurtry. Mm. And McMurtry began to found other Thelemic um, groups um, throughout England, in France, and other places, including um, one came to be in the United States. And Thelema was very influential in England. Um, there's a guy we'll talk about when we talk about witchcraft named Gerald Gardner, who is considered the modern founder of Wicca. 
Mm-hmm. Gerald Gardner was very, very influenced by the religion of Salima that Crowley started. So, um, and he saw this basically as an output or an outgrowth of the old British cults. Once again, we'll talk about the Druids, James mm-hmm. Frazier's book, The Golden Bough. Uh, all these things were things that Crowley sort of borrowed bits and pieces of. And his group grew. And as I said, other lodges and other um, parts of the organization were created. And eventually there was a house that were followers of Crowleyism and Thelema established in California. And that was a group called the Agape Lodge. I've heard of that, yeah. This is where it gets really interesting. So um, Willard, Wilfred Talbot Smith, after World War I, was the sole surviving member of the Ordo Templi Orientalis, and he founded a Salemic Lodge in California called the Agape Lodge, where they did these kind of Thelemic practices of Mm -hmm. sex magic and other Mm -hmm. kinds of rituals, all right? And they began to bring people in, you know, they were... We're not far from Hollywood, so they attracted a lot of people. One of the most interesting people they attracted Mm -hmm. was a young man. Mm -hmm. He was was born very wealthy, and um, he was an amazing guy. He was, a lot of his associates went to places like UCLA, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. he never went to UCLA. I think he either dropped out or was expelled after one semester. (laughs) But he had a natural curiosity with chemical reactions, and he was obsessed with Robert Goddard and Robert Goddard's rocket launches. But but he knew, uh, talking with his friends who were still in UCLA, that that, um, the rocket fuel that Robert Goddard was using would never get a rocket any higher than so many thousands. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He wanted rockets to go wherever a rocket could go, including to the moon. So yeah. he and his associates worked together and created the first solid rocket fuel. Okay. And, Talk about magic. Wow. And, yeah. And yeah. after struggling with their instructors who pretty much hated Jack Parsons. Yeah. And, and Jack Parsons gets his honest. He's very handsome, by the way. He could have been a movie star if he wanted mm. to. But um, his dad was kind of a nut job uh, to begin with. And Jack seems to have inherited some of that in his genes because eventually he was inducted into the Agape Lodge. Uh-huh. He took it over eventually, moving it into his mansion that he had built because he had government contracts. He sure. was he was a very important guy in research. He and his co-creators created a research laboratory in Pasadena, which eventually became um, the Jet Research Lab in Pasadena. Uh, uh, and eventually that evolved into the Skunk Works, which produced yeah. the stealth fighters and things like that. Yeah. So, but Jack was, he had a, he had, 
gotten his money. He was getting paid constantly. He had top security clearance from the U.S. government. And now he was starting a Thelemic religion lodge in his house. Wow. With his wife and her sister. And eventually his wife got turned off by all these people. He wanted artists. He was a could have been a beatnik, except this yeah. was the 1930s and 40s. Um, yeah. He wanted artists. He wanted bohemians. He wanted, you know, socialists and people with sure. unconventional ideas to hang out. And he wanted to induct them into this group. And he also wanted to follow through. He was going to replace the founder as the high priest. And he corresponded with Crowley because Crowley was still alive then. And so he began to have all this ritualistic stuff going on at his house. Um, eventually, his wife got sick of it because, and she left him. But that was after he proceeded to fixate upon her sister. Okay. <laughs> and all in the family. Uh, all in the family. So um, she, Sarah Northrup was the younger sister of Helen Parsons. And she became a second degree member, which was titled magician uh, of the um, Agape Lodge. And everybody was also then a member of the OTO because that's what kept Crowley interested. So he was mentoring them from afar and he was you know, getting pretty sick at this point. But um, you know, so group sex was going on at, at Jack Parsons house. There was wow. drug use um, and once again, 40, 1940s, um, and the police were being called all the time by the neighbors <laughs> for all the crazy stuff sure. that was going on, including, sure. you know, sacrifices of animals in the backyard right, right. and things like that, and all this sexual licentiousness. Well, um, and, and it got a reputation, the house, of as being a place where there was black magic going on. Uh, there was a lot of alcohol and marijuana, and people were experimenting <laughs> with cocaine yeah. and um, amphetamines and mescaline and opiates, you know, psychedelics and things like that. Um, he had lots of sexual relations with lots of women. Like I said, his wife left, so he mm. connected with her sister. Mm. Eventually, um, they... Um, in 1945, sort of as the war was had wound down, mm -hmm. um, a new guy came into town, and Jack was immediately smitten with this fellow because this guy was a fast talker. He would also was claimed to be a um, commander in the U.S. Navy, had an amazing war record, had been wounded in battles in the Pacific, and was now a writer. And he was getting his writings published. He was writing a lot of different stuff, but mostly he was writing um, science fiction stories. And okay. he attached himself to Jack Parsons. And together, they would go out in the desert and perform ritualistic sex magic in order to bring the goddess back to this plane. Okay. And eventually, this woman from San Francisco showed up she was an avant-garde artist, and Parsons became convinced that she was literally the goddess, that they had summoned her. He 
because yeah. this woman was manifest very yeah. free and very loose and everything like that and parsons became infatuated with her and the yeah. writer who started having affairs with parsons ex-wife's sister who parsons <laughs> who had 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 a child with uh-huh and insinuated his way into really helping parsons run everything which gave him access to parsons bank account eventually the writer and the sister-in-law ran off together took the money bought a yacht and sailed the yacht outside of the limits for being able to be arrested by the coast guard mm -hmm. and hung mm -hmm. out there for quite a while wow that writer's name is Laf Lafayette Ronald Hubbard. Elrond. Elrond Hubbard, the founder, the founder of Dianetics and ultimately um, Scientology. Scientology. Stole money wow. from Jack Parsons. Because the, the poor guy was obviously so drunk and wasted on drugs and, <laughs> and crazed with sex magic that he didn't know what was going on and he trusted this guy. And so that brings us kind of up to date. Parsons kind of was, was arrested. Yeah. The lodge fell apart. He, his, uh, he lost his contracts. His friends from UCLA took uh, the, the, the jet propulsion lab and uh -huh. took it away from him. He no yeah. longer had, he lost his, his government clearance. Clearances. He, yeah, lost, he lost everything. And he ended up losing his house too. He moved into a small house. And he ended up going back to what he originally did was to create explosions for the movie industry ah, for special yeah. effects. That's how he made his living. And then. one night, he was supposedly mixing up some explosives. He made a mistake, and it went off, and it, he blew himself up. And he wow. So he went up in a ball of flames. Yeah. Uh, kind of apropos. It's a bizarre story, kind oh. of apropos. And, you know, Aleister Crowley actually wrote him letters saying, I don't like this L. Ron Hubbard guy. <laughs> you, should, <laughs> you should keep his eye. But Parson was smitten because this guy would literally do anything as far as Parson's interests were concerned. And yeah. It led to Parson's death. What a, what a lively lively journey <laughs> yeah and there are continue to be secret societies these new ones being founded all the time um and and inevitably they find themselves through some sort of collision between religion guild mm. structures mm -hmm. secret knowledge um secret wisdom and i'm just impressed with the pattern that keeps repeating yeah it keeps conversations yeah, it, no. it does. It, and it continues to this day. It's, it's, you know? it's an interesting study. It's psychological, sociological. You almost wonder what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. There's something in us that we find this stuff appealing. You yeah. Know? No almost matter how, archetypical. Yeah. Whether we're going out in the desert and reading spells and touching ourselves to bring the goddess about or, you know, being highly protective of other people's money and secretive about it it doesn't matter you know it still goes on to this very day yeah. Yeah. so 
next time yeah uh, we're gonna we're gonna discuss the w word okay yeah we're gonna talk about witches we're gonna talk about traditional witches not those those hotsy totsy court magicians but we're going to talk about the plain those plain folk those clever folk who were accused of being witches often and we're going to talk about the foundation of the modern religion of witchcraft called wicca wicca which is a another wild and woolly tale i'm sure it will be it's been an adventure so so far but so anyways thank you very much that's our podcast um we're on twitter at podcast about three uh we're on facebook uh, as the podcast about everything uh, anything we're on um itunes and most other places you can get a podcast so wherever you encounter encounter us give us a like yeah subscribe if you've enjoyed this and we'll see you in a few days uh and we'll be talking witches witches <laughs> that was my that was my scary witch laugh. Okay, thank you, Bill. You, You're you, welcome, Michael. You, you be well, my friend, and I'll see you soon. Yes. So that's all for our episode. We're dedicated to featuring great stories and conversations, and we love our listeners. If you have a story you'd like to tell, or one you'd like to have us explore, leave us a message on our Facebook page, and give us a like at the podcast about everything. We're a podcast available on Anchor, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the places where you go to hear podcasts. Our theme music is by Tim Moore, courtesy of Pixabay. Pixabay.com is a great source for royalty-free images and music. This is Michael Allison signing off. Be safe and be well, everybody.